this service is a little bit fuller than the first service. Um, I jokingly told them that they were the ones that hadn't heard that I was preaching today. So maybe you hadn't heard, but now you're stuck. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 11. Chip's been doing a series on 1 Timothy, and he said a couple of weeks ago that if he could describe 1 Timothy, it really is a handbook on how to do church. So I thought um, that I would, he's going to pick that up next week, I thought I'd, in the in-between time, talk about the church from the book of Acts, especially Acts chapter 11, to maybe keep in the theme. So we get started this morning, just uh, I want you to, if you have ever been or are currently a missionary, would you please raise your hand? Um, okay, nobody here is a missionary. One, one, one person is a missionary here. If I asked you, I won't ask you this to raise your hand, but if I asked you to raise your hand if you were a Christian this morning, my guess is that many of you would raise your hand. Um, and without a doubt, yes, I'm a Christian. Well, the Bible doesn't make a, uh, a difference there. It doesn't make a delineation between those two terms of Christian and a missionary. So from now on, somebody asks you if you're a missionary, raise your hand. And this is not to, to demean or to uh, belittle uh, missionaries that have left their home and their family and gone overseas to to a hard area that needs to hear the gospel. But the truth is, we all, on a day-to-day basis, go into hard areas that need to hear the gospel, to our places of work, to our families, to our neighborhoods, all of which, in some form or fashion, either in word or deed, need the gospel to bring wholeness, to bring life, to bring salvation, as only the good news of Jesus Christ can We could even back it out further and say that everybody, Christian or non-Christian, is a missionary of some sort. Because a missionary, at its basic meaning, is one sent with a task or a service. Um, Many of us, before we came to know Jesus, or maybe even struggle with it now, um, are missionaries of our own kingdoms. We are about the task of building our own kingdoms and making people uh, make much of us. Or a variety of other things. Um, there's other things that can, can drive us. Um, the kingdoms of our kids. Or our family name. Or our uh, in place of employment. Whatever it is. But to be Christian means distinctly that I'm on a mission. That the good news of what Jesus Christ, who He is and what He's done, drives me. Uh, and I've, I've got a task to perform. I've got a service to render to the world, wherever that calls me, whether it's overseas in a country that has, has never heard the gospel before, or whether it's my place of work, or my family, or my neighborhood who needs the truth of the gospel to be brought to bear there. Um, so when you think about your office, when you think about your home, or your neighborhood, or your family, um, you should ask questions like, what are my hopes in my dreams? What would it look like if the gospel were to take root in this place to which I'm called and bring the transforming power that only the gospel can bring? What would it look like? What would change um, about those, those situations, those scenarios, those places of my life? What would it take for that to happen? 
And if you see yourself as a missionary, and if you ask those questions, then the book of Acts, chapter 11, has something to say to you, to us, this morning. Let's read it, starting in verse 19 of Acts, chapter 11, about the church in Antioch. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found them, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, would you be working in our hearts today? Would you make this word of God uh, known not only to our heads, but to our hearts, that we be moved and changed at a heart level so that our lives would look different from our time spent with you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What would it take... For the gospel to take root in your family and in your workplace and in your neighborhood, the way that it took place here in Antioch, what would it take? Well, there's at least three things that I think we can see from this text um, that, that help us unpack that question. First thing it would take is it would take us trusting in a God of mission. It would take us trusting in a God of mission, that we have a missionary God. If you were to go back and study the, uh, the scriptures from Old Testament, from Genesis chapter 1, all the way up to the, the chapter we're at today, you would see that we serve a God of mission. That from day one, when he created uh, all of creation and put man and woman at the center of it, he gave them mission to take his glory and to make it known throughout the world, to take what was good and right and true of the Garden of Eden and to take that glory, to spread it throughout the whole earth so that it could be a place where he could dwell and live with people and walk in the cool of the garden as he did there. Um, and you know, if you read uh, that in Genesis 3, shortly after all of this stuff happened and this big mission was given, that man... Our, our father and mother, Adam and Eve, as representatives of us, rebelled. And they went their own way. And they flipped the mission of God. Um, the, thing, the way things were designed and created, they flipped it on its head. Um, they decided, you know what, we're not going to be about God and His kingdom. We want to be about our own uh, lives, our own kingdom. We want to do things the way we want to do them. 
Um, we call it sin, which the DNA of sin is just selfishness. It's wanting our way, our kingdom, rather than that of the Lord. Um, and it had devastating consequences. God, from that point on, moved in a new way, in a different way, on mission. To reclaim what is rightfully his and to set it right, what man has messed up. Even in the garden, he sent them out of the garden, yes, for, for judgment, but also as a grace. To say, listen, if you take and eat of the tree of life, you'll live in this sinful state forever. And that, I can't have that. Leave. You must go out from this place. A couple of generations later, you see the scriptures tell of the state of man that it was every inclination of every man's heart was only evil all the time. It only took a few generations for things to deteriorate to where it was totally bad. Now our hearts, to the extent that we know them, um, think bad things, have bad intentions. But to think of every intention, every thought of our heart only being evil all the time is unimaginable. And that's how bad it had gotten. And so God, again, moves towards His people in mission. uh, And He sends the flood to cleanse His creation. And He preserves Noah and his family so that His mission will continue through them. And He says, at the end of the flood, He says, I will never again uh, cleanse the earth, judge the earth in this way. So He says, I'll never let it get this bad again to the point I will restrain sin and its effects. Well, only a couple of generations later, we see the same people, the same descendants of Noah, um, going about things the way they've always gone about it, to make a name for themselves with the Tower of Babel. See, while circumstances had changed, what was wrong hadn't changed. People, sin, our own hearts, our own rebellion, our own selfishness was still existent. And what they were doing was they were coming together with one language, with one purpose, but it was the wrong purpose. It was to glorify themselves, to make a name for themselves. So God again steps in and he says, I'm going to save you again from yourself. So he steps in and he says, in order that you won't come together for purposes that will destroy you, I'm going to scatter you and I'm going to give you different languages. So it's going to be harder uh, to to talk to each other, to come together for these purposes that will destroy you. Um. That pattern continues on and on and on. And God moves towards his people and says, I'm going to preserve a nation that comes from this man named Abraham. And and I'm going to set up my rule in their lives in this nation so that they can be a light to the rest of the world to show people what it's like to live under the right rule of God. But even then, things hadn't changed. The problem was still in people's hearts. And so Israel continued to, to try to make a name for themselves, to, to try to keep things to themselves. And all the while, God's saying, no, you forget. You, I, I've called you out, but I've called you out so you'll be a mission, a light to the nations that are around you. And sometimes he moved towards them, even in hard things like exile or whatever it took to carry them to the nations so that they could be a light in the midst of them. So all this pattern of history, all this missionary God um, culminates at the first of the New Testament when we read about a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord. And then Jesus Christ bursts onto the scene. And He, being God, um, who has pursued us from Genesis 3 on, 
He now comes and identifies with us by becoming one of us. He shows us by his life what life is supposed to look like lived under the reign of God. And then he sacrificially gives himself to secure that kind of life for us. And uh, it's like a, an atomic bomb. You've seen the pictures on, on, on Discovery Channel where atomic bomb, it hits and it sucks in all the energy from around it, sucks it all in, and then boom, it just goes out um, in, in an outward flow of, of explosive, explosive energy. It's like when Jesus ra- rises from the dead and conquers the, the, the full extent that sin can throw at us, death and hell, he conquers it, and then he sends his spirit And the gospel just starts going out. And it's continuing to go out in this passage. And what we'll find is still in our day. That gospel is still going out with power until Jesus comes again and sets things all right once and for all. Completes the work that he started. But here in Antioch, in the passage we just read, it has come to Jerusalem, Judea, and even to Samaria through Philip. And now it's about to go to the ends of the earth. It's already started with Peter and his ministry to the Gentiles, but now through Antioch it becomes the, the sending agency, the sending city for all of Paul's missionary journeys. Um, God is a missionary God. That's who He is. That's the story of Scripture, that He is always moving towards us to accomplish His purposes, to make us into the people that we were designed to be in the first place, to save us from ourselves and from our sin. Um, and to, to make it to where eventually all the earth, again, will scream of His glory. He's a missionary God. That's part of His character in history. You also see it specifically in this passage. As, as, it goes, as the gospel goes out in Antioch, um, you see it in God being at the center of guiding the characters of His story. It's not just the history, but specifically in the characters of this history. You see it in verses uh, 21 and 24. Look at 21. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And then in 24, Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. See, God, He's not only part of His character, He's involved intimately in how that process is worked out and how that mission is carried out. He's the one that does the work. He's still at work today. And He's not only at the center of guiding his characters in his history, but in in guiding the circumstances. This was so cool the first time I looked at it. In verse 19, it says, Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. Guess who was at the center of the persecution that arose over Stephen? Who was sitting there guarding the coats while the men stoned Stephen? It was the man who eventually became the Apostle Paul. He's... These people are scattered because of his persecution, led by him. And now at the end of this passage, as we just read, Barnabas goes and gets him, and he ends up being the core, the center of God's mission, sending a city of, of Antioch. See, God takes this sinful situation and circumstance, and he uses it, even that, for his mission, for his honor, for his glory. So God is in control all the way, start to finish. It's part of his history. He guides the characters, and he even uses the circumstances, whatever they are, to carry out his mission. If you want to see the good news of Jesus take root and change your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, then first thing we've got to do is to trust in a God of mission. He's at work. He's the one that does it. 
Secondly, to see that kind of thing happen, we have to be and have leaders that are on mission. To be and to have leaders that are on mission. And that's where Barnabas steps in. I don't know about you, but when I read of the Apostle Paul in, in his letters and in the book of Acts, it almost seems like he's kind of this untouchable. I mean, he's just like super Christian, right? And he does all these things. He's got this great mix of gifts and personality. And you just, I just sit back and I'm like, there's no way I could ever have that kind of an impact, that kind of a ministry that the Apostle Paul had. And in some ways, we're right. I mean, he was uniquely gifted and was placed at a unique time in that way. Um, to, to have a huge ministry to see the gospel go forth. Well, when I read Barnabas, it gives me some hope. I'm like, I don't know if I can ever be Paul, but I might, I might could do something like Barnabas. Because Barnabas is, I mean, he's a good man. He's full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. But other than that, he's not this super extraordinarily gifted guy. He's just faithful to whatever God calls him to. And you see that in this passage. Look at, um, look at verse 21 and 22. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church of Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. What does it look like to be a leader on mission? Well, one example is Barnabas, and the first thing that Barnabas does, the first thing he's about to be a leader on mission, and this may sound weird, the first thing he was about was accountability. He was the delegate from, you know, the man, the organizational church up here, to go find out about this new work that was being done and check on it. What's going on over there? We'll send Barnabas. Go check it out. And I, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but a lot of times when I hear that kind of language, you see that kind of thing of accountability, it makes me think, well, here they are. You know, these leaders didn't, nobody checked with them, so they're going to go send this guy to, to, to check on this work, you know, because they, they want, you know, everything to run by them. You know, it's got to go through a committee. Um, but here's what I'm learning. Accountability is a good thing. It is a good thing. To have leaders, and that's part of being on mission as a leader, is to check and see, is this of God? Is this something, is this the best way to use our resources so that it, it further sees the mission of God carried out in the best possible way? Well, Barnabas, that's part of his job as a missional leader in this scenario is to go check on it. What's going on? Um, Barnabas sent him back a report. But it doesn't stop with accountability. Not only does, does he go about a mission of accountability, but he's, he's on the ministry of encouragement. And he marries those two in a beautiful way. You just read it there, but you know, he, he came and he saw what was going on. And he, he said, yes, that is from the Lord. Let me, let me breathe life into that. Let me encourage it and nurture it. And, and, and even explain a little bit further what that means and what that needs to look like for you guys. Um, many leaders... Because of experience, because they've seen both the good and the bad and the pitfalls that are out there, we can tend to, um, when a new work's going on, when a new believer comes into the church, when somebody comes in and has huge hopes and dreams for whatever area it is they're passionate about, we can come in and if we're not careful, we can squash it. We can put our little thumb on it and say, well, let me tell you all the things that could go wrong if you do this. Um... Whereas if we could come in like Barnabas with, yes, accountability, yes, follow-up, but let me nurture what's good and help bring it out so that it gets even better. 
what a ministry we could have. And what a mission we could support and encourage if we could just live that kind of a way as leaders. Um, when I was first in college, um, I was just picked up the guitar and was just learning it. And, uh, I, you know, from early on, from the first few months that I was playing, I was going to be a songwriter, you know. So I'd start playing these chords and this song. Oh, I like this. I'd be excited. And somebody would walk by and they'd be like, you know, Eric, that song sounds just like a James Taylor song. And I'd be like, oh, man, I thought that was something I'd just written. I was so excited about it. And, yeah, it does. It sounds just like that song. And then I'd try something else. And it, it didn't. It doesn't take much when you're in something that's new and you've got huge hopes and dreams for it. It doesn't take much for it just to get squashed, even by well-meaning people. How much more so, things of the Lord, should we affirm and encourage, yes, with accountability, but to nurture so that we encourage, uh, so that it screams of the Lord. And the last thing that he does, to be a leader on mission, yes, it's accountability, yes, it's encouragement, but it's also leadership development. He immediately does something that is, should sound foreign to our ears because of our, our sin. I'll, I'll speak on behalf of all of us. Um, in verse 25, 24 and 25, it says, Many people, a great many people were added to the Lord. And then there's a word, so. But what follows the so doesn't follow the so in my head. It says, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And he went and got him and he brought him back. What I would expect it to say in my sin would be a great many people were added to the Lord. And so Barnabas built his ministry and he became a great preacher and teacher. And he is, goes down in history as having one of the biggest churches ever. Um, maybe even had a biography written about him. Isn't that how we think? Man, we've got this thing and we, we've been involved in it as a leader. And man, it's growing now. So let me build my kingdom. <laughs> So that people think I'm something special. He doesn't do that. He says, i got to get out of the way. <laughs> he said, I know my weaknesses, and I'm, I'm going to be a bottleneck here that keeps some greater things of the Lord from happening. Who would be good in this? Oh, Saul would be good. He's got the background. He's got the gifts. He's young like these guys in, in the faith, and he could jump in here and have a huge ministry. And it says the word there to go look for Saul is to look with, with difficulty. He had to go find him. He left a uh, adoring crew here to go find Saul um, because he's that committed to it, of giving it away. And then I'll sit here for the next year, Saul, and I'll teach with you. I'll encourage with you. And we'll build this new work from which will be launched tons and tons of churches. To be a missional leader, to be a leader on mission... It's accountability, it's encouragement, but it's also leadership development. Um, what would it take for the gospel to take root where you are? Well, it would take us trusting in a God of mission. It would also take us being leaders on mission. And leader just means influence. We're all leaders at some level, whether it's small or large. God's the one that gives us the uh, puts us over different things. It may be little, it may be big, but to the extent that we have influence, we can be this kind of a leader. And then lastly, to see these kind of things take place in our families and our places of work would be to be a part of a church on mission. To be a part of a church on mission. And you see in this passage a church that is on mission. You see, first of all, they're preaching the gospel. Verse 19, it starts off and it says, So far it had only been preached to Jews for the most part. And then you've got these mavericks coming in from Cyprus and Cyrene. And of all things, 
they go to the Hellenists too. And they preach the gospel to them. And they would have had to do it differently because these Hellenists wouldn't have known all the history, the storyline of, of redemption that I just told you guys about the Jewish nation. So they said, no, we're going to preach the Lord, his life, his death, his resurrection. And we're going to say, you are called to be and live life under the rule of this king. Not just any king, but King Jesus. And these people responded. So they were preaching the gospel. But number two, they were, they were celebrating the gospel. Um, Barnabas comes in and he says, What you've got is of the Lord. You've got it right. You've got the gospel. Let me encourage that and nurture it. And just by virtue of him encouraging um, the, the truths of the gospel in their lives, they get excited about it. And they go out to their neighborhoods and to their places of employment, and they celebrate it. Guys, you never believe what I heard this weekend. And, and they would tell the gospel to them. And they'd say, hey, you've got to come with me. Let's go. Come here. Let me introduce you to this guy named Barnabas. Let me, and let me tell you about this guy named Saul. And so they, they bring them back in, and this whole work happens where a great number more are added to their number. Just by virtue of people getting excited and celebrating the good things that are going on in their midst. Now, we as, as the PCA and as First Presbyterian Church could probably be said of us, don't celebrate things enough. And I'm not talking about dancing in the aisles. I'm talking about being excited about what the Lord is doing here and telling people about it. Um, what we do here, a lot of times, is the negative things, the things that we're frustrated with or whatever else. That's what we tend to talk about instead of what all good is going on here. And what can we celebrate and tell other people about? That was going on. That kind of a community was contagious. And people were coming in to their midst. So preaching, celebrating. Number three, um, including. They were including people. They were breaking down barriers. Not, not just as a result of their message, but even that was part of the message. Is that the gospel is for everybody. At Pentecost... When, um, when, when the big explosion happened there uh, in the city of Jerusalem, all these nations were there, all these representative nations were there, and they heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus, in their own language. And I heard a commentator say, you know, it's, whenever you start a church, the, one of the first decisions you have to make is what language you're going to do worship in. And we all, by virtue of choosing that language, even if, even if it doesn't seem like a choice, it's a choice. And if we choose English, then all of a sudden we're, we're neglecting many, many other languages. That's just part of it. Um, well, that's what the Lord was doing at Pentecost. He was saying, hey, it's in every language. It's for everybody. This message is for everybody. It's part of the gospel that it breaks through barriers and it comes to all sorts of people. Socioeconomic, race, whatever else. The gospel is for us. It's for all of us. And so that's what this new church looked like. Is they were, it, it says in verse, uh, I mean, it's almost in passing in verse 26. And the Antioch, in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. That is a huge statement. Because up until now, it had been seen as, well, that's part of this, this crazy Jewish folks. You know, it's part of their, another sect of their, their religion. And here they're saying, this is more than just, this is bigger than just the Jewish people. This is, we've got people from all over the place. We've got to call them something else. We'll call them Christians because they're crazy for, for this guy named Jesus. Um, so they were preaching. They were celebrating. They were including. Um, number four, they were being equipped and discipled. 
it uses the words of these were disciples, it says here. And they were sitting for a year under the teaching of Paul and Barnabas. They wanted to do what they needed to do to get equipped to be a church on mission. And then the coolest thing to me is, is the last thing. They were reinvesting in the mother church. Did you see that in the last few verses? They, they found out that there's going to be this need. So the disciples, in verse 29, determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. That is a missional church. Part of being a missional church is that you reinvest in either financially or leadership or whatever resources you have in building the church so that it continue, can continue to, to be on mission for years and years to come. I'll say this and I'll probably get in trouble, um, but a church like First Presbyterian Church, rightly or wrongly, well, um, is seen as this endless place of resources. <laughs> um, we support a number of partnering ministries that are great, that we're excited and, 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 and joyfully support by our finances and leadership and boards and whatever else. Um, this passage, I think, is saying that those ministries and those church plants and whatever else should, if they're on mission, see the need to reinvest in Mother Church First Presbyterian. Um, for leadership development, for financial um, responsibility, so that this church can continue to be supporting of partnering ministries for many years to come and can continue to produce people that will sit on those boards and will get down and dirty in the trenches and minister in those places. Um, a lot of times it feels like that rivers run one, one way, um, that, that continue to give, continue to pour out without the reciprocation. And I know I'm on staff at First Presbyterian, so it's probably easy for me to say that. I'm not... I'm trying not to, to be mean or anything. I just think that this, that's one of the evidences of a church on mission is the reinvestment in, in the church, in the mother church. And this church did it, giving everyone according to his ability um, for the larger movement and mission of the Lord through the church. What would it take for the gospel to take root in your family or in your workplace or in your community. It would take us trusting in a God of mission, being leaders that are on mission, and then being a church that can go together on mission in these kind of ways. Um, I'll say this in conclusion. I, I think one of... If you don't sense this morning this burden of, well, that doesn't apply to me, it doesn't get me excited, doesn't get me something, it's not something I ever really think about, then I want to take some of the responsibility of you not being excited about that on myself. I heard somebody say a few weeks ago um, that when it comes to the gospel and displaying the gospel before his congregation, he said a whole lot of times he feels like a guy who's taking a coffee cup and going to the ocean and dipping a coffee cup full of the ocean and coming back to his people saying, hey, look, this is the ocean. Because what he's saying is just polishing and, and magnifying and displaying the beauty of the gospel, um, he just felt like he was doing it injustice, uh, calling this coffee cup full of, of ocean water the ocean, when it's so much 
bigger than that. It's so much more glorious than that. It's so much more powerful than that. If you don't feel the burden, if you don't have the excitement, the desire to be on mission, then I'll take some of the blame. But, but don't, don't let it stop with me. Don't let me be a bottleneck. Go to this and read for yourself the beauty and the power and the magnificence of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it can do, what he can do uh, to transform your job, your workplace, your family, your community for his glory. He's on mission. You and I are missionaries. So next time somebody asks you what you do, tell them I'm a missionary uh, and name where you're a missionary to. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you are the one who is at work and that we get to be a part of what you're doing. We pray as this fall really kicks full force and we get into a ministry year, we get back to school, we pray that we would be a church on mission, that we would be leaders who are on mission, and that we would trust in you, the God who is on mission. And that we see unbelievable things take place in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our places of work. Would you do that this year for your honor and glory? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.